Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. <clears throat> and uh, I like singing uh, the hymns that we did. Blessed Redeemer is uh, one of uh, the early songs when I was playing the piano that I learned how to play. And um, I wanted to show you something in it if you have your songbook still handy. And uh, page 112 again. And uh, I thought of this as Brother Keith was singing. <clears throat> this is a, a song of worship. It's a song that as we think about the words of it, our hearts are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ and we're giving praise about who He is and, and all that He's done for us. And that third verse starts off with a, a one-letter word. And we've talked about this in our church before, the letter O. Oh, how I love Him. And it's an exclamation. And uh, sometimes when we sing the songs, we just kind of plod through them. Um, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Oh, how I love Him, Savior and friend. How can my praises ever find it? We get to that third verse. The songwriter is at a point of, of being enraptured with the thought of Christ. And the songwriter says, Oh, how I love Him, my Savior and friend. Exclamation point. How shall my praises ever find in? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise Him forevermore. And uh, when we sing like that, I think we ought to look at the message of the song and, uh, and let the words of it stir our hearts to a spirit of worship, which is what the song is intended for. And then you enter into that chorus. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer. Seems now I see him on Calvary's tree. Wounded and bleeding for sinners pleading. Blind and unheeding, dying for me. And I love the old hymns, don't you? And I hope that they never become just monotonous to us. There's a lot to them, aren't there? There's times I'll be sitting back in the PA booth getting during the week working on some things or maybe driving down the road and I'll be singing a song, a song will come to heart or mine. And there's times I get done singing and I'll be shouting by the time I'm done singing. Or sometimes I'm crying. More than likely I'm crying. And uh, some people that go around me and saw if they were to see me like that, they'd wonder what in the world I was doing. But I'm thankful for music. God gave us music. In fact, the largest book in our Bible was designated to the idea of music and worship. And I'm not afraid of that. As a Baptist, we've grown uh, afraid of talking about worship. And I've said often that our private worship ought always to exceed our public worship anyway. But there's nothing wrong with public worship. And we get ready to sing praises to the Lord. I hope it becomes a very intimate time with you and the Lord. And uh, as you think about those things. Second Timothy chapter number 3. <clears throat> and uh, Lord willing, and we're going to be uh, dealing with some things here. Uh, when I first became pastor, one of the first things we dealt with on a, I believe it was a Wednesday night, it may have been on a, uh, a Sunday night, were uh, the distinctives of our Baptist faith. Why are we a Baptist? And a lot of people in our church, uh, and let me just say this, not necessarily in Keith the Heights Baptist Church, but a lot of people in our Baptist churches as a whole do not know or understand why they're a Baptist. In fact, my daughter and I were having a discussion even this morning, and uh, the idea that we're not Protestant. Uh, we didn't protest the Catholic Church and come out of it. We were never a part of it. Amen? Uh, we have a doctrine that has stemmed from the apostles, and we're never in agreement uh, with the Roman Catholic Church over things. 
and, uh, and a lot, not a lot of denominations can say that, but even though society groups the Baptist group into the Protestant uh, terminology, uh, rest assured we are not Protestants. Uh, we are Biblicists. We believe in the Bible, and it is our sole authority of faith and practice, which is one of the great tenets of our Baptist faith. We're going to look at that this morning, and Lord willing, over the next several weeks, we're going to take one week um, at, uh, at a time and just deal with some reasons why we're Baptist and what we hold to <clears throat> so that we can understand and know. Uh, if somebody asked you why you were a Baptist, I know when I was younger, if somebody had ever asked me, said, why are you a Baptist? Um, they, uh, I would have a hard time telling them uh, that, uh, well, my mom and dad raised me that way. I was raised in the Baptist church, or that's just the churches I've always gone to, or I like the style of what their services are. Folks, that's not a good enough reason. Uh, we need to know why we're a Baptist. We believe our doctrine to be right according to God's Word, and uh, we hold to those things. And so we're going to look at some things in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and bear with us. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. I know it's a lengthy read. But I believe it's very important for us to get to the message this morning. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And if that doesn't ex express the society and the day that we live in, I don't know anything that could express it any more clearly than that. We go on to say in verse number 5, and this is the sad part of the first part of this chapter, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. This is Paul speaking and writing to Timothy. He says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, uh, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If you have a pen, you ought to underline that verse. All scripture, verse number uh, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect truly furnished unto all good works. Father, we come to you this morning, and I pray that you will bless the time that we spend here together. Lord, already we've had an enjoyable time singing hymns of praise to you and allowing it to stir our hearts and prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. Now, Father, we ask this morning that you would lend the uh, aid and the help and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, help him to do a work. 
in our hearts. I know that very little does it matter what I think about a subject, but Lord, it matters greatly what your word says about it. And so, Father, this morning we ask that you would lend your wisdom and your guidance, the leading of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, to know and understand this truth. And, Father, may we rest upon it. May it be the foundation of our belief and our faith. And, Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in everything we've done and will do here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul is getting very near to the end of his ministry. And he's writing now this, this other letter to Timothy that we have two of them recorded in Scripture. There may have been more that he wrote to Timothy. These are the two that we have in our Bibles and uh, it's interesting for me to note that Paul begins the book of Second Timothy speaking of uh, Timothy trying to uh, stir him up and cause him to remain faithful. Now, I do not know, and the Bible does not give us the insight into this, whether Timothy was beginning to waver or struggle with some things. But the tone of this letter that Paul sends to Timothy causes me to uh, lend itself to the thought that Perhaps there were some outward pressures on Timothy to perhaps change some of the things that he had been taught, some of the uh, doctrines and some of the foundational truths that he had been instructed in in the Christian life. In chapter number 1, Paul tells him to stir up the gift that was in him and to remind him of his, uh, the, the investment that his mother and his grandmother put into him by sharing the gospel and the scriptures with him and the things that, that they had taught him. And then Paul goes on to say that he prays for Timothy and that he has great joy in remembering him always. In chapter number 2, he tells him to endure hardness as a good soldier. And so it kind of gives you this idea that perhaps Timothy was under some sort of attack about uh, maybe compromising on his doctrine and his belief. And uh, then we find in verse number 6 of chapter number 2 that Paul again deals with the idea of not only teaching the, the, uh, the uh, Word of God, but also to be a partaker of it and uh, to make sure that in the preaching that he doesn't himself become a castaway. And that was one of Paul's great fears, that, uh, that in doing all of the ministry that he was doing, that he would end up at the end of his life shipwrecked and on the rocks and uh, that uh, there needed to be some sustenance and some strength and something that he could anchor to that was unmovable and unwavering. Uh, and as we get down to the end of chapter number 2, he speaks about the fact that uh, Timothy needed to be diligent and uh, a workman uh, that needeth not to be ashamed. And uh, towards the end, a little bit further, he deals with the fact that he needed to be a clean vessel, an instrument that could be used, a vessel of honor in God's hands. Now we come to chapter number 3. And the tone changes as Paul says, Timothy, uh, here's some things that are going to happen. So whether Timothy was already under attack or whether these things were going to be something that he was going to be facing in the future, we're not certain of. But suffice to say that Paul was getting Timothy prepared to endure and to be steadfast in what he believed. Uh, in chapter number 3, he speaks of <coughs> the depravity and the downward spiral to deviance, if you will, uh, of the society as a whole and people in general. He talks about the last days and how that these men were going to uh, begin to uh, depart from and to be reprobate in their mind and to reject 
the teaching of the Word of God. In fact, the first four verses deal with the fact that these are people who have their own uh, comfort, their own pleasure as the priority of their life, and God has no part in it. Uh, just this week, I was reading through some things uh, of a man who denied that God has any part in a man's life and uh, began listening, uh, reading some of the arguments he was trying to make. And all I could think was the fact that he was raised in a generation that has uh, given him every opportunity to reject Christ, uh, whether he was raised by atheistic parents or uh, through schools and education uh, outlets that would cause him to deny God. Whatever the case was, the, the, uh, fertile, the soil was fertile in his heart and his mind and caused him to, as an adult, get to the place where he fit in these first four verses. Oh, we said just a few moments ago, you'd have to almost be blind to look around and not see that this is a vivid description of the world that we live in today. They're traitors, they're heady, they're high-minded, they're disobedient to pay parents, they're proud, they're boasters, they're covetous. Um, and these, the Bible refers to here in chapter number 3 are what Paul says are perilous times. It's an interesting phrase. Why, why are they perilous? And who are they perilous to? I, I don't believe, I mean, we certainly know that <clears throat> that to these men that uh, the Bible is describing here, if they're rejecting God, there's a good chance that they're not saved, or at least carnal at best. And so certainly there's an eternal peril that they have to face. But I believe that the peril that Paul is talking to here and trying to warn Timothy about is the peril of the, uh, the uh, opportunity that a, a well-grounded, well-solid-in-his-doctrine uh, uh, Christian would have to be swayed or convinced that his doctrine and that the things that he had been taught and shown were not true. And so I believe that we can say in the day that you and I live that we live in very perilous times. We live in times where people will try to make arguments to shake our faith and to cause us not to believe the truth of God's Word. We find as we get to verse number 5 that this group of people have a form of godliness. So we find here, uh, first of all, a group of people who are rejecting God, but they're trying to look like they're not rejecting God. Boy, does that not describe a, a, a whole host of churches, so-called, in our society today. I, I was appalled the other day to see uh, a picture of a group of what they refer to as ministers, preachers, that were standing in support of Planned Parenthood. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now that anybody that will murder an innocent baby and say, I'm for this, I don't know how in the world they can ever stand on the authority of God's Word and say, I'm a minister of the gospel. But we have these people that have a form of godliness. They put themselves up and they tout themselves as men of God, and as, as preachers of the gospel. But the Bible says here in verse 5, but they deny the power thereof, and the Bible tells us this, from such turn away. We're not to have any part with them. This idea that's propagating around the world today that let's just all love everybody, and let's just all get along. I, I'm going to tell you something. I love everybody, but I'm not going to get along with everybody. 
there are certain people that I, I love them and I'll, uh, I'll pray for them and I'll help them any way that I can. But if they come up and they tell me that, that I need to join arm in arm with them and believe the things that they believe and it's contrary to God's Word, then I'm going to tell you right now there's going to be some conflict there. Because they have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. And the sad fact of the matter is I, I watch almost yearly as I see friends of mine and people that I've known growing up that are great Christians that were doctrinally sound at one point in their life that have deviated from what God's Word has said because they've gotten mixed up with crowds that have caused them to go a different route and to begin to have a form of godliness but begin to deny the power thereof. The Bible says from such we're to turn away. He said, Brother Greg, that's a little bit harsh. I didn't say it. God did. It's a little bit harsh. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins and led away with diverse lusts. The sad fact of the matter is they're ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They study and they quote Scripture and they'll have a good part of truth. And then they begin to mix the error in. By the way, that's the way Satan always works, isn't it? You remember back to the Garden of Eden? Satan questions God's word to Eve and said, Yea, hath God said? And Eve said, Yes. And Satan comes back and says, Thou shalt not surely die. We find that there are those that begin to deviate and even to teach error. And they say that this is something that God has led them to teach. And yet it's contrary to the Word of God. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood, verse number 8, Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith. By the way, can I tell you this? Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the only writer of Scripture that God gave permission under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. The idea that Paul is an example for us. He says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecution, afflictions, which came unto us at Antioch and I, unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. And by the way, can I tell you this? There are some people who deviate from the Word of God simply because they don't want to have the persecution. Can I tell you this? God will always deliver a man that will stand on the Word of God. You say, well, what if, what if I have to be martyred for my belief? And there may come a day in our lifetime that may be the case. What if I have to suffer persecution for my faith? God will deliver us. I remember the story of the three Hebrew boys standing before the king. They said, O king, our God will deliver us. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we still will not bow. And I, I, I'm reminded of this, that those boys were convinced that whether by death or by life, one way or the other, they were going to be delivered. 
And can I tell you this? God will always be with those that stand for His Word. Evil men and seducers, verse number 13, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now watch this in verse number 14 and following is where our message comes from today. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Where do we go back to? If there's a question between my belief and a belief of someone else, what do I use as the rule to determine which one is right? Do I use logic? Do I use science? Do I use history? Do I use the philosophy of man? Do I use the acceptance of society? What do I use to determine which of us is right and which of us is wrong? Paul tells Timothy here in verse number 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. That's our rule. That's our foundation. That's what we hold to. That the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And notice in verse 16, it says all Scripture. And I like that word all, don't you? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This book is not written by man. Oh, he used instruments to pen the words. But the words themselves were breathed by the Holy Spirit of God. Every word. All Scripture is given by inspiration. And by the way, it makes it a whole lot easier if we understand that to believe the Bible, doesn't it? We don't have to try to go through and pick and choose what parts we think are God's words and what parts we think are man's. They were all given by God, weren't they? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Can I tell you this? The Bible will always be profitable. It's profitable for four things that Paul shows here. For doctrine, the things that we're to know about God and the things that we're to anchor our beliefs on. They are the support and the pillars for what we put our faith in. For reproof, <coughs> they give us the means to be able to defend our belief and our faith. For correction, they cause us to find the areas that we are wrong in and to try to correct those things. And for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, notice this, it's going to do two things for us. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There's two things that holding to the Word of God is going to do. And first of all, I want to say this, and this is our message today. We as Baptists hold to, and very few others do, but we as Baptists hold to this, this idea and this tenet of faith that the Bible by itself, on its own, authoritatively, is the sole authority in our faith and our practice. We don't believe that the Bible and a preacher or the Bible and a pope or the Bible and a man who gives a word of knowledge, as some say, we believe that we hold in our hands the completed revelation of what God intended for us to have and that it by itself is our sole authority. I read a book years ago. It was written by a man by the name of Bill Grady. And I appreciated the research and the work he put into it on the King James Version of our Bible. And certainly it's a great book. Uh, but uh, his title of it is Final Authority. And uh, I like that, that it is to be our final authority. But I think it has to go beyond that. It needs to be our only 
authority. It's not one of many. It's the only one. And so it needs to not just be the final authority. It needs to be our only authority. And then we find that if we will come to this conclusion, if we will get to the place where we believe that this book that we hold in our hands and on our laps today are the very words of God to us, then it does two things for us that we find here in verse number 17. That the man of God may be perfect. Perfect. You say, does that mean I'll be sinless? No. It just means that it's going to help us to grow and to mature. We're not going to be little babes on the sincere milk of the Word, but we're going to be able to start eating the meat of the Word. The more that we gain from it, the more that we learn from it, the stronger meat we're able to handle. But I will say this, the Bible does teach. Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. It is a defense for sin, not that we will get perfect until the day we finally get to heaven. In fact, Paul said, not that I have attained. He tried and tried and tried. He had done all that he could. He put those things behind him that were behind him, and he was pressing toward the mark. And even at the end of his race, he still had not attained until he got to heaven. But it did keep him, God's Word did keep him from some sin, didn't it? It did develop a life of holiness. And by the way, Our world is starving for God's people to have a revival of holiness again. That the man of God may be perfect, matured, developed, strong. And then I want you to notice, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, well equipped. God will give us the means that are necessary for us to be able to accomplish the good works that He has ordained us to follow. He'll mature us and He'll equip us. One of the great tenets of the Baptist faith and one of the preeminent ones, one of the things we must hold to before we go any further with why we're Baptist is the idea that this book and this book alone, it's not just our final authority, it's our only authority. That must be settled in our hearts. For everything else that we believe as Baptists comes from this book. It must be our sole authority of faith and practice. And it either is or it isn't. And my challenge, my my message to you today is this. Do we hold this book as our sole authority of faith and practice? Do we hold to this and this alone? as to why we believe the things that we believe. Paul told Timothy, he said, there's going to come a time, chapter number 3, he said there's going to come a time, perilous times, where men are going to depart from this. In fact, in chapter number 4, he goes on to say, in verse number uh, 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure Sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. When that begins to happen, even in the hearts and lives of Christians who are deceived by the things of this world, in verse number 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. 
Is the Bible your sole authority today? Is this what we hold to? These the, these the things that are. The, is this book the the place and the, the source that we get our doctrine from? Or do we hold the things that other people have said? Other people have said that have contradicted the Word of God. Oh, that we would have a revival, getting back to God's Word. We're we're doing this ninety day challenge. I'm not going to have you raise your hand as to how many of you are trying to do it. Uh, some people have taken two hours to read fifteen chapters. Uh, some people take you know, 30, 40 minutes to do it. And I'm not saying that you have to do a 90-day challenge or 60-day challenge of reading God's Word. But can I say this? We need to be reading God's Word. We need to be familiar with it. We need to study it. We need to know it. As Paul told Timothy in chapter 2 of this letter, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Is the Bible your sole authority of faith and practice? Maybe we need to get back to it again. Maybe we've drifted from it. Perhaps we've begun living our life according to things that we see fit. Instead of holding to the things that the Bible's taught us. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. As we have a moment of invitation time, Lord, it's kind of an unusual message to give invitation on, but Lord, there may be some here today that have either struggled in the past or perhaps are struggling currently with this idea that the Bible is your word to us in its entirety, that it is our sole authority. And Lord, because it is our sole authority, it becomes our final authority whether we believe something different or hold to something different or see things differently or not, the Bible is still true. And I pray that you would help us to hold to it, that we would anchor ourselves to it. Lord, we're living in perilous times, times where even Christians are beginning to have their faith shaken. Lord, I pray that you would help us to anchor our hearts and our doctrine and our beliefs, not on the things that we've been taught by men, not on the affairs of this world or the society that we live in, but, Lord, that we would anchor it upon your word, that it would be unmovable and unshakable, that our faith would remain strong and uncompromising. We pray that you would bless the preaching time this morning, and, Lord, may there be some, or this afternoon, may there be some commitments, may there be some revivals in our hearts of holding to this book as your final and sole authority for our lives. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. We'll have just a hymn of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed.